Folks, welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, whether you like it or not, author Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, Desi D will be casting a spell on us. Desi D writes fantasy, horror, and sci-fi splashed with a thriller vibe. She received her MFA in writing popular fiction from Seton Hill University. She's a member of Denver Horror Collective and is responsible for the Fourth Circle interviews. She is an oddball with an overactive imagination. Her short story, If I Shall Wake, was published in award-winning Terror at 5280. That sounds familiar. She has a dark imagination with very little mercy for her characters. Welcome to my nightmare, Desi. Hi, glad to be here. Cool. Well, I am psyched as well. And as folks may or may not know on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define as living creatures and vital processes relevant to their writing. This episode, we're talking about the anatomy of magic. Now, magic in theory, depending on whether you believe it's real or not, and it might be, is kind of a supernatural thing. So how can we, in our minds, link, how does this link in some way to the physicality, say, of biological horror, would you say, Desi? I would say, because I write a mixture of fantasy with horror, so I love magic. And magic is going to go through the user, the caster, in some way or another. So it's automatically going to intertwine with their biology and different magic users are going to use it differently. It's going to have a different cost on their system. And it's a very vital process in order for them to be able to, you know, use magic, which is a lot more fun (laughs) and creates a lot more problems. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point. So in in, say, things like, I don't know, Firestarter, right, that's, you know, the Stephen King book and movie and been remade so we have the character there she uses magic or even in uh what what's the stranger things right the the girl there so there's a physical toll right they're not just kind of like it's not just usually the way of i think a thought and it just happens and you know it's it's no more taxing on my system than that so that's kind of an example of it flowing through the body right Mm -hmm. but i would argue that even thinking a thought can be taxing anybody who studied or concentrated for too long gets exhausted so all of that even like moving our fingers or our hands all of that is a biological and then magic just takes it another step because it just it doesn't stop with the user it then it spreads out and affects the physical reality usually around the user like in firestar it starts changing the atoms the uh, molecules to cause the reaction that's that's really good point too so we have two pieces thus far which does definitely link this into the bio horror realm so we have the where it comes from say in the individual in terms of the the bodily toll and then what havoc or what positivity it wreaks on the the physical realm and then also maybe even like what the magic is itself like is it a, a you know a wave or 
some sort of disturbance or, you know, so yeah, well, let, let's, let's go back into the, the body process stuff. And I think you make a good point about thoughts in general. I mean, yeah, like, obviously I need energy to even wiggle my fingers. I need to eat. It, it's my body is required. Then even thoughts like an anxious thoughts, right? That definitely mm -hmm. takes a toll on the body and all that. But if I were to, if I were to seat this stuff, I mean, certain traditions have seated magical powers, say in what they call the, the pineal gland, like the third eye, which is mm -hmm. sort of like this thing, basically whereabouts our third eye is, and that some sort of magical force emanates from there. And then I even think of things like, well, Don Juan from Carlos Castaneda stuff, or in the film, Donnie Darko, there's like a, a tentacle almost that comes out of the stomach. So I don't know, in, in your mind, like, where is the, where's the source of this physical, this magic in the physical body, would you say? For me, and in most of my magic systems, it comes from the soul and how it mingles in with the flesh. Because I still like to think of it as we're just riding these um, body suits. And the soul is there. And I, what I love most about this, because I didn't even really consider it bio biological horror until he reached out to me. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, it's probably the most terrifying version of it because you really can't see it. Mm -hmm. science at this point can't measure it even in the realms in the worlds i make up they're trying but they can't really see it so you don't know where it's coming from you don't know if it's going to come get you it's kind of like some ways a virus mm -hmm. it's just one that is controlled by people which can make it far more dangerous than more random because mm -hmm. you can target it right well and there are of course for skeptics and i i put myself the way I look at the world is I don't typically, I'm not a true believer of a lot of things, but I almost never say that's not real. Like I, I own enough humility where I'm like, Hey, I don't think big, I'm not going to bet on Bigfoot, but I will never wake up and be like Bigfoot. A hundred percent is not real. I just, there, there's so many things that we don't understand. There's so many limitations to the human brain. There's so many species we're creating, whatever. Frankly, I think Bigfoot might have been real, but is probably extinct, but but whatever. <laughs> um, so there are things like spoon bending, right? Like this guy, mm -hmm. Yuri Geller from years ago. He's an example of a guy who would do things and a bunch of people would watch it happen and they didn't know how the hell to do it. So there is, in my mind, at least evidence that magic some elements, I'll, I'll probably think most of it is fiction, but there, there's some elements that may or may not be true, even, you know, psychic abilities. But if it is true, you know, let's just say it's, I don't know, 0.1% of it, maybe it's 90%, I don't know. If it's magic and it's real, it's not magic anymore, it's biology. Mm -hmm. The only difference between magic and um, biology or science is it hasn't been discovered how it works. So if right. we don't know how it works, we call it magic. Right. As soon as we know how it works, then we say it's science. So that's an interesting divide for me. Because it's just saying that, well, since we can't understand it, it can't, it might not be real. But the moment we can understand it, okay, now it became real. Because so I was thinking about it, two, 200 years ago, nobody knew what an atom was. Right. 
it didn't make them any less real. We just didn't know what they were. Yep. So yep. I see a lot of this is the same. It's just we don't understand how it works yet. And we haven't been able to discover what makes it work. Right. And I think there are always going to be things that, I mean, our human brains are biological bags of meat. And there may be a mm -hmm. connection to something that is called a soul, a spirit. I, I think there are just things that are going to be beyond the capacity of our brains to figure out. And so, yeah, the question is whether those things are, are magic or not. Um, I, I think that if, if we can, yeah, let's say we can bend spoons with our brain. So, I mean, it, is that magic? Uh, I guess right now it is because we don't know how it's, it's done. But I, I, so I think it could be argued that nothing is magic or everything, everything is magic in a sense too. Cause like I go into the woods and there's this stream kind of that keeps falling down out of the mountains, like from where, I don't know how it keeps happening. And it just so happens that's the stuff that I put in my body to not die. That's pretty magical to me. Mm-hmm. I had a friend once who told me that the difference between magic and non-magic in like fantasy is can everybody do it? Mm. Once everybody can do it, it becomes just part of the world. It's not really magic at that point. Magic seems to be part of the definition is it's limited to certain people. Right. And certain abilities, which is kind of a fun thing to play with, especially in fiction. How does that work? Who gets to do it and why? And then how does it physically impact? Because if they're going to wield magic, that means that it has to be a part of them somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just like if um, I heard another author say, um, like, everybody has the ability to play basketball. Not everybody has the ability to go pro. Right. And there are some people who don't really have the ability at all. But it doesn't make it a magical ability. It just makes it what they can do and what they can't do based on the biology they were born with so in some ways i treat magic the same way it's a part of who they are it's a part of how they work regardless if you really want to address it as a soul theme or if you want to try to turn it into physics it's still all coming from the same because even now it's hard to define a person what are we the makeup of our brain the chemicals in it what makes us us right it's always an interesting question yeah, well, magic is always going to kind of also take us into that spirit realm, the idea of however you want to frame it, like soul or just Buddhism has, people consider it a religion, it's not quite a religion, but Buddhism basically has many parallels to anything from Christianity to Judaism in terms of we're all a part of one thing, and maybe in elements of christianity or judaism it's like they're, they're very more specific about okay when you die you go here and stuff like that with buddhism it's like you're always a part of everything and scientifically molecularly speaking that that checks out but that's that's mm -hmm. what i do like about I, I mean so biological horror i have a very broad framing of it um i personally am not just interested in the physical realm i, I am actually very interested in how things tie into the larger spirit realm I, I don't name that stuff and i'm not like a believer per se in any specific faith but I, I do think yeah we're clearly not i personally don't believe that we're just you know bags random bags of meat 
there, there's something else. There's a, there's an, a breath there. There's an, a, there's a force that had to come from somewhere. And so magic maybe is just like a, I don't know if it's a safer way, but it, it's a way of sort of navigating that body to spirit divide and maybe just making it fun and entertaining or something. And making it a more obvious connection. Like in my fiction, I like, it depends on the story I'm working on, but a lot of times I like the um, magic to be more um, pre prevalent, if I can say the word right now. <laughs> um, so I like it, like the, the novel I'm currently revising and trying to hopefully finalize. The magic is just a part of who they are. Everybody has it. It's just an extra ability that's connected and you can see how it works it's just a more obvious connection of like in my opinion the soul's ability to manipulate the surroundings around it right and that's that's a really great distinction because typically with magic it is it's like oh fire starter carry they're they're special whatever it's like the, the shaman tradition a witch a wizard the special ones have this ability the the other folks don't even in harry potter it's the muggles versus the you know the wizard Wizards. people right <laughs> and yeah that's that's a i mean in a sense it's a discriminatory way of looking at it versus your uh employing of that as no we all can tap into this stuff maybe some of us more than others and, and i actually i like that message more because that's that is truly what i believe i i do think that everyone has different powers and levels of powers and and things like that but ultimately we we all have the same essence and the idea of everyone having access to that same magic i think i think that makes that makes a lot more sense because because what would what would even be the the aspect like why so let's say fire starter that kind of stuff i think that's they hint that a lot of that stuff is passed down genetically. So what would be your genetic predisposition to magic? I think there's less potential likelihood in that than just, no, we all have that possibility. Maybe we don't all cultivate it. Maybe a thing doesn't happen, whatever. It's an interesting foray though. Mm -hmm. That's why I like playing with it because magic, we get to define how we want it, especially within fiction. And what kind of effect does it have? Because if magic doesn't have an effect, then how is it any different than just any other setting item? It's just there to make it look pretty. But once you give it an effect, then it actually changes how the story works. Because if everybody can do it, well, then how now does the world function? How do they see each other now? Yeah, well, so, I mean, typical ways in which magic impacts the let's say the the physical realm right like i can think of it in terms of well light and dark magic right like i tend towards the dark stuff because that's kind of cooler like destroying almost like it'll break things or it'll like hold a guy still or you know whatever make like demons come but it can also be a healing energy right like i think of mm -hmm. all the, the video i mean video games have both of these so video games you know you cast your spell like a role-playing game like uh a killing spell, a fire spell, water. A lot of times it does tie into the elements, right? But then a lot of it is healing. You want your mage there. It's a, it's a, it's returning life to to people. So it impacts both the physical, natural world, and also the 
the human body. So where do you lean? Do you lean dark magic or light magic? Actually, I lean more towards the middle of it, really. I think of magic as it's a powerful force, but it depends on who's using it and where they're pulling it from and what's the goal of the magic. So it can be used to do great things, but it can do great harm. I think of it a little in a way like how science is. We make a discovery. The discovery is not necessarily good or bad, but what do we do with the discovery? Like, do we create medicine with it or do we create bombs with it? Right. Bombs, so that's usually. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you think about it, like Einstein, for example, when he split the atom, he had no idea he was creating an atom bomb. That was not his intention with it. He was trying to, if I'm getting this correct, make a better energy source mm. to help mankind. Mm -hmm. But once he created it, the power existed. And then what did we decide to do with it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and I mean, just because I, I feel compelled, as, I'm not a fan of nuclear energy anyway, but I do think that, yes, that there is different intentions there. But what I always come back to, and this ties in really to the magic thing is, and one of the people I think who did it best, the, the this gray area stuff and how it can go either direction. I, I revealed that I lean dark. Everyone already knows that. But um, so Tolkien. Lord of the Rings, right? The whole premise there is we got to get rid of this ring. We, mm -hmm. you know, the it's like the the bad guys get it. They do all their bad things. Sauron fucks things up, whatever. Um, you know, it, it corrupts people like Gollum, and then even the good guys, right? There's one of my favorite scenes is, and I I don't know the movies. I, I haven't seen the movies, but I assume this is in the movie, but also in the book for sure is. I believe it's Frodo who at some point, you know, who's tasked with going to the crack in Mount Doom to throw it in there and to get rid of it. He's like, here, Gandalf, like good guy, archetype Gandalf, you take it. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, don't ever offer me that again, because even, you know, as awesome as I am, and that's not what he's saying, but basically that's what he's saying. I can't even handle that amount of power. And I always think about that. I think there may be certain technologies or, you know, this would be an analogy for magic, I guess, but there are certain powers and maybe it's even just certain knowledge that is so potent that I think we should carefully consider whether or not humanity can handle it at all. But the mm -hmm. real question is really, so, so let's say there are some dark findings or let's say it's, yeah, the ability to create nuclear weapons or like uh biological warfare we we are engineering fucking weird shit um mm -hmm. the the idea is well the other people will be doing it too so we have to do it that's a that's i get that like that's that's a hard a hard uh row to hoe there in in the tolkien world there was a physical thing and then you could put it into a physical place and it goes away we don't really have that luxury, do we? No. And that's kind of what I do with my magic system. I'm like, it's there. The magic's there. Right. Yeah. You could try to get rid of it, but it's what we do with it that's really going to matter. And then, of course, how does it affect everything? So how does it change the world? So it always has a biological aspect to it. Because if it didn't, then it wouldn't actually have any consequences. And 
I don't really consider myself as I write dark fantasy because from my understanding of dark fantasy is the magic has a terrible price. My magic has a price, but it's not anything more terrible than, let's say, somebody who learns how to be a soldier. There's a price there, too. It's the same type of price. It's what do you do with it? How do you use it? And then how do you build the muscle? How do you get better at it? And where's your limits? Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Cause, cause I'm, I'm reading through some of your stuff and yeah, it, it seems as if th- there are uh, repercussions for abusing it and there's impacts on the individual and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yours is, is, I, I mean, I look at, fantasy as the overarching and then horror is a component of fantasy but mm-hmm. i mean your stuff is not like light ch- cheery either like there's there's no. a plenty of darkness in it and i think the common theme whether it's necromancy or you know uh, just a magical power that's sort of ubiquitous that you can tie into for different uses there's really there's like about like discipline around it is really the central piece it's it's learning how to harness it but also not abuse it and you know simply that premise with great power comes great responsibility and i think the issue is a lot of people who can access the power aren't really interested in responsibility and in fact those most interested in power might be selected they may be less likely to be interested in the concept of responsibility. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? I think it's kind of a, it's an interesting balance because it's um, with great power comes great responsibility or power corrupts. Those are the kind of things that are always at work, which one's going to take over. But with my fiction, what I like to add another layer to where I pull my real darkness is in perception. How does the world perceive the person they can do these great things but do they know they can do these great things and then how do they understand their own abilities when there's not many people there who's really guiding them so that's what I kind of have fun with that's where my darkness really comes in is what do they face and how does the world shape them and then can they overcome it like my main characters always go through a lot. That's why I say I don't really have mercy for them. They go through a lot. And it affects their magic. Either it makes them hate their magic, which in most cases it does, because it's a lot of times what happens if you're... And I see it a lot in this world, especially when it comes to like abuse. Like, people tear down people they are afraid of, usually, but the person who's being torn down doesn't necessarily realize that. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like to play along, play around with that. Well, how does that affect the magic system too? And can that be overcome when they're at odds with their own abilities? Yeah, I think that's some really deep character work there. And that's central to the human struggle, magic being real or not. It, it, it can be used as that analogy of our different powers. And another thing you had mentioned that struck me is you mentioned briefly something to do with a guide like it's important for us to have maybe the elders or somebody who knows how to handle this stuff you know we could say the experts or whatever as a way to 
make sense of our world these days more and more again it's it seems to be for a certain contingent like freedom without without responsibility and then a lot of people who are just kind of um cower without exerting your influence at all maybe finding that that middle ground but needing you know we disrespect our elders but they're the folks who have been through this stuff and a lot of times we're like oh i don't like that expert i'll just ignore them you know granted everyone just has a little part of the truth but some have more than than others and some have very little so this the whole like you know like do your own research like that's cool i like to do my own research but at the same time like a, a guy in oklahoma who you know the classic thing is lives lives in their parents basement um versus somebody who's been studying this for their whole lives well i'll I'll, I'll weigh their information differently while at the same time acknowledging, well, this person who is an expert might actually have blinders. So it seems like with the hero's journey and a lot of things like, all right, Yoda knows Yoda is fairly infallible. Right. But, but I think that Skywalker learned lessons from all over the place and maybe even negative lessons from, from Darth Vader, or maybe even occasionally a positive lesson there that Yoda Yoda doesn't uh, reveal. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love Yoda. He's a great example of a good mentor, you know, training him how to use his power and all that. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing I kind of like to toy with with my fiction because not everybody finds a mentor. Sometimes your mentor is a really bad person. <laughs> and what do you do in those situations? How do you overcome that? Because the magic is always there. So the way I kind of see also magic is like potential. We all have potential. We're all born with the potential to do something. Doesn't matter what our gift is, we all have something we can do. Now, some of us find really great mentors who bring out our potential, but then there's others who never find that, never find the person that guides them or shows them how to utilize their potential and they don't understand their own potential. So they're trying to figure it out on their own and they're stumbling around making a lot of mistakes. And then there's those like my characters who are really unfortunate and run into people who want to abuse that potential and use it for their own gain, which really damages it. So that I also like to throw in a psychological aspect to the magic system in that kind of area. Yeah, I think it lends itself to that. And I myself, I don't tend to write a lot of magic into my horror because i have that biological horror bent but most of my stuff is supernatural in a way so i am playing into like that that mingling between spirit and and biology but my if i'm planning to potentially do a a new novel so i have a, a novel coming out in uh sometime this coming year which i'm psyched about my eco Jewish horror, folk horror, uh, but I've been thinking about, and I wrote one short story about it, dabbling into that, the, basically the warlock realm and kind of to, you know, there's been a lot of stuff about witches and I feel, you know, there, there, there can, there's like that masculine feminine stuff, yin yang, however you want to look at it. I, as a guy, I don't know if it's my role as much to delve into the you know, the, the history of the, the feminine witch as much. So I'm kind of like, well, I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the warlock stuff. And I've been writing some 
stuff. I'm, I'm, I want to write a story about kind of history of uh, male witches and warlocks because they were actually about, they figure are around a third of the, the killed witches were men, obviously primarily women. And that's, that's, that's the obvious uh, connection, but they're, you know, so, so I want to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm more, I lean towards dark. So my, my character that I've already kind of played with a little bit in the short story is definitely not, uh, not using it positively, but mostly because of, you know, he's been, he's been attacked. So that that's typically where we do it. But one last question I want to have for you is if you could have one magic power, or maybe you already do have one, but I don't know, <laughs> but what would it be? Hmm. I think I still like um, telekinesis. The idea of moving things with your brain just make cleaning so much faster. Be done in no time. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But then I think of that's what Mickey Mouse did in Fantasia. He trained the brooms to clean for him and he caused a lot of trouble from that. So, oh, yeah. But see, he trained the brooms. See, if I'm just moving it with my mind, I'm still technically doing it. <laughs> okay. Don't outsource it, is what you're saying. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I think I'd still go for flying. I don't know if it's just a symbolic element of the breaking free in that way or just i just want to be able to like go up and just fly around over the trees and you know you can escape anything mostly you can escape a lot of things so you can do whatever bad things you want to do and i i think that you know and you can save people too if you want to i wouldn't use it for that <laughs> purpose but so i think i would do flying so i guess but if you had telekinesis and we had to fight and I could just fly as long as it depends on how far your telekinesis goes. Mm -hmm. And how fast would, you can fly. <laughs> yeah. So if we were to fight, you'd probably have the upper hand there. I'd have to think about that. But, <laughs> well, anyway, that's worth considering. So uh, maybe say a tiny bit more about what you're working on right now. I know you mentioned some, but just whatever you can reveal. And then uh, if there is a place uh, repeating where you they may find some of your work. Okay, um, so currently I am working on a novel called Bound by Crystals. I am hoping to finish polishing it up. It'd be nice by the end of the year, but I'm kind of a slow writer, so we'll see. Um, it's a great story where everybody does actually have telekinesis powers, so it's fun. It's very dark. My poor main character. I swear the only thing I didn't throw at him is the kitchen sink, but that might be in book two. So... And you can find me at on um, desidwriter.com. Awesome. And of course, I got an author page on Facebook. <laughs> yep. Excellent. Well, thank you, Desi, so much for coming into my nightmare. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, 
If you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.